Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode 51. I am uh, one of your hosts, Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex Klusterman. It's good to be back, eh? It is good to be back. Back here in the Upper 40 studio. Yeah. Yeah. Good week? <laughs> Every time I say it, you're like, yeah, I don't remember. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember. It's, uh, you know, we made it here. That's right. We had a um, um, a sad but hopeful day, a memorial for one of our uh, members' daughters who passed away a year ago today mm. in uh, infancy. And it was just, yeah, it was good in light of especially what we're talking tonight. Um, just re- really reaffirming the dignity of human life and the horrors of death and and the need to uh, stand in the breach as yeah. men. Yeah. So it was a it was a sobering, sad day, but um, also saturated with hope. You know, as believers. Yeah, I mean. You often wonder for those who don't have the hope we have, yeah, what a day like that would be like, or even yeah. if they would, even, if they would even have a day like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to a couple um, unbelieving funerals over the last couple of years, and it's just it's a hopeless, right, hopeless endeavor, yeah. Uh, but we've also been to some, you know, believers' funerals, and mm-hmm. it's a whole different vibe, right? Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. we're sad, we mourn, we're not supposed to hide that, or mm-hmm. or um, paint over it uh, but god redeems that suffering mm-hmm. and turns mm-hmm. it into something for his glory so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's great but uh yeah as uh, as far as this week's topic we we got some good feedback from last mm-hmm. week's um ryan black sent me a fire emoji oh nice so i think that means it was lit yeah that these or, days that's good that's good yeah that's what the kids are doing eh yeah <laughs> The extent of my emoji game is like <laughs> smiley face, laughing face with the tears and a thumbs up. But your meme game is strong. <laughs> I had somebody give me a thumbs up in a text and it was like a brown hand. Okay. Instead of, you know, a white hand. Yeah. And I was like, oh, nice being super inclusive in your emojis. <laughs> <laughs> your, your woke points have gone up. <laughs> you never be too inclusive. Yeah. So yeah, last week's uh, last week's topic on uh, abortion with uh, Ben was here, and we talked about um, sort of the overall practice, some of the uh, arguments used for it, and we went over the Hill City statement, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, people should read if they haven't read yet, uh, which was very good. Uh, but this week we want to, I guess, focus a little more on the what now question. Yeah. I mean, we all. As, as long as I can remember, I've been passionate about this issue. Passionate mm-hmm. in the sense of when I think about it, it makes me emotional and angry. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, never, never turned that into any serious action. Yeah. And so that's what we need to talk about is what now, what do we, what do we do? Uh, what should our attitude towards it be in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what are maybe some specific tactics we can take? So I don't know where you want to go. Yeah, first, well, one but. of, uh, I thought we would zero in on the men this week. And I walked away from last week's episode um, just really burdened to reach men and to have men engage 
in the cause of the unborn. And as someone who's, I've been a part, I mean, I was on the board of the pregnancy center in town for a couple of years and I've cared about this issue for a long time. And I would say one of the um, defining characteristics of the quote unquote pro-life movement is it is largely led by women. And there are exceptions to this. There are solid godly men who speak publicly and clearly about this. Um, you know, I think John Piper has been very vocal over the years and, and uh, Jeff Durbin. Yeah. Durbin obviously has a, a, a very important ministry here. So it's not exclusively, but, but I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. in Canada, especially in Canada. I mean, I went to, the the major conference for pregnancy centers across Canada. I went to Vancouver, and it was um, predominantly women, and um, that's just a really sad thing. And so, I wanted to spend some time this week talking about why I think that is, and perhaps diagnosing the problem, and just giving a call to men to um, get some skin in the game and oh. to really take responsibility. Um, my kind of contention is that the the cause of the unborn is actually something that biblically um, places a burden of responsibility on on every man because the cause of the voiceless and the oppressed, as you read from Isaiah, I was going to read that text. Oh well, be to um, do it. Yeah, falls falls upon. Uh, righteous men, Christian men. And Isaiah, the text that you read, is calling the people of Israel back to faithfulness, back to the covenant. And he he kind of summarizes what that should look like, um, not just in their attendance at a, you know, uh, a weekly gathering mm-hmm. or something, but in the way that they relate to um, the poor and the oppressed and the needy. Right. Yeah, the uh, the covenant breaking isn't exclusively about matters of social justice. No. But they're always tied together. Yeah. When you abandon the worship of the true God, there will be oppression. Oh, yeah. And um, this, is, this is a major theme in the Old Testament. I mean, the word pair, justice and righteousness, when you see that together, it's actually the, the term is referring to something we might call social justice today. Now, social justice as yeah. a term is kind of, it's kind of uh, redundant because all justice is social. Yeah. Um, and there's also baggage with it that we don't want to tackle. Yeah, and we're going to get into that. Um, but nevertheless, uh, the God repeatedly rebukes his people um, for their lack of justice and for their oppression. In fact, even in Isaiah, they are actually offering sacrifices and God's mm-hmm. saying, I, I don't like these. I don't need these. Yeah. Um, I, they, they are repulsive to me when you live lives of oppression and when you overlook the injustice in your midst. And the kingdom of God will be one of justice and righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we need to long for that and work for that. So, we talk about dominion. I mean, in Genesis Genesis um, 1 and 2, God created man and woman in his image, and he placed man in the garden and says to work and to keep. And this is basically to cultivate and to protect. Yeah. And, and so the role of men, as we understand it, is twofold to protect and to provide. And this responsibility gets fleshed out differently according to the various relationships that God has ordained in, in a family setting. Um, a father and husband provides for his wife and children. It, and this is so intricately t- 
tied to who we are and, and our obedience of faith that Paul can say that a man who won't provide for his own family is denied the faith. And worse than an unbeliever. Is worse than an unbeliever. It's yeah. because um, there's a burden of responsibility to love our family, and the way we do that one way is by providing. That doesn't mean you're wealthy. It doesn't mean that you can never fall into hard times. It's not about how much you make. It's about the effort you give in the giving of yourself to provide for them. And a man who just refuses to do that um, is denying love. And he's, he's, he's functionally denying the faith mm-hmm. such he can't call himself a Christian. So this burden for men is to protect and to provide. One of the ways we see this fleshed out is not just within our own family, but with a particular attention to those without a voice, to those who are being oppressed, and to the needy. When we think of um, Proverbs, I'm going to read from Proverbs 31, and um, the words of uh, the king to the son, to remember what your mother taught you. Mm -hmm. And he says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So the father, the king, is saying to his son to remember the instruction of his mother, and that includes... Um, speaking. So not just not having a privately held belief about yeah. something. Oh, I'm pro-life. Um, I think it's wrong. Well, that's a good place to start. But righteousness requires that you actually act, that you actually stand between an oppressor and the oppressed, mm-hmm. that you actually advocate on behalf of someone without a voice and with no power. This is what to, what it means to live righteously. And then you read from Isaiah, what is he calling the people to do? Um, and, he, and he actually says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, right? Yeah. And so the call of Christians in obedience to Jesus, and the church has always understood this, um, the way that we walk righteously includes a particular concern towards the oppressed. And um, I'm, I'm going to maybe diagnose why are men not involved? If this is so clear that men Mm -hmm. have a duty to protect, that they have a duty to speak, to advocate, to to stand in the gap of, why is that not happening with the pro-life movement? Yeah, well, it's probably the same reason men aren't leading in their homes, aren't leading in their churches, aren't aren't taking responsibility when they get somebody pregnant. I mean- that's it's part of the part of the, the reason there is a there is an issue with abortion. Yeah. I'm not pla- placing it all on men. There's you know takes two to tango, but yeah, um, you know when you abandon a woman, yeah, and it's anyway. It's endemic of of a larger societal issue, which I'm sure we've touched on a lot over yeah. the course of this podcast. So one of the reasons you know I want to say is 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 that men are not moral, and. Um, Righteous men have two two characteristics. They have clarity on the distinction between good and evil, um, and they hate evil and love good. So they have they they're in their minds. They know clearly. They have the discernment to be able to tell the distinction between good and evil. But not only the mental. Um, capacity that they have the appropriate response to those things. And the Bible says it is to hate evil and to love good. Uh, Psalm 97.10, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so funny yeah. how people say hate is good 
or, or hate is bad and love is good. It's like, well, it depends what, what you hate, hate yeah. and what you love. Do you love bad things? Yeah. Or? Like, do you, do you love genocide and yeah. do you, do you hate Jews or something like that's not good. Yeah. Um, so he says, hate evil. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked in Romans 12, nine. He says, let love be genuine. Everyone says, oh, yes, right? We need to love. Well, what does he follow that with? Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And that's a refrain all through the Psalms. All through the um, Psalms. Lord, I love your law. That's why I hate the wicked. Yes. You know, there's this there's this juxtaposition between loving God's law and loving justice and hating wickedness and wicked people. Yes. Yeah, and so and it's not just hate the sin, love the sinner. Like no. there is, there is an aspect where uh, we need to um, be, gracious. be gracious to to people. But um, if you don't have a like a visceral reaction of hate when you yeah. think of what's being done to the unborn, like, yeah, something's yeah. wrong with your moral compass. Yeah, and and what I just want to drive home here is that that central to the act of love is the ability. Um, to know good and evil and actually the capacity to abhor evil. Yeah. That a man without, um, a man who is morally ambiguous on things is a man who does not love. Mm. Love requires moral clarity. And moral clarity is just not in style um, mm. in our culture. And I mean, to extend that, love requires hate. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it requires you hate certain. If you love someone, then you will hate the things that harm them. Otherwise, how can you how can you say you love someone and remain indifferent to their suffering yeah. and remain indifferent to their affliction and and not hate the evil that is perpetrated against them? Yeah. If 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 a man was to see his child um, to be you know physically harmed or abused and to just be indifferent towards that, no one would say that man loves their child. Um, he might, even if he said, no, I think that's wrong and I think that's evil, but did nothing to stop it or, mm-hmm. or didn't say that he hated what was done, that it's, you don't love that child at all. Mm. And so love requires us to hate evil because we love people and we uh, love God. This reminds me of that section in uh, The Abolition of Man where he's talking about the purpose of education yeah. is to train children in, it's, it's to train their loves correctly yeah like you want to train them to love the correct things and hate the correct things yes and find beautiful the things that are truly beautiful yes and uh yeah yeah and um um so so love for love requires that we are clear on good and evil Um, this is not encouraged in our culture, generally speaking, but specifically for men. Generally, we live in a relativistic culture. You do you. Yeah, so moral clarity, this is wrong, this is evil, is is actually considered evil. Yeah. Um, so, you're, so you're not allowed, generally speaking, it's frowned upon to have moral clarity. And, I mean, the irony is that, that there's lots of people saying things are evil. Moral clarity is evil. I mean, it's a self-contradicting yeah. statement. Um, just don't think about it too yeah, much, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really fake, but there's a relativism, yeah. especially in Canada where it's not, it's not right for you to say something is objectively wrong and certainly not to abhor it or to hate it. Um, I think in the church as well, uh, that there is a false equivalence between moralism and morality 
And we we saw this about ten years ago. There was a, and this happens especially in the Reformed Church. Um, there's a battle between legalism and antinomianism um, that has been raging forever. And that is a view yeah. that has the wrong standard, and there's a view that rejects all standards and becomes a law unto oneself. And, um, you know, by 10, it, it's almost as if when you say something is right or wrong, you're, you are soon to be accused of being moralistic. Uh, but what the Bible does, the Bible doesn't condemn um, knowing right and wrong, good and evil, because mm-hmm. we see that that's central to what love is. And we're supposed to know what it is. Yeah. yeah. If we if we need to love people, then we need to know what is good, and we need to we need to hate what is evil and love what is good. Um, what the Bible condemns is making our morality the basis of our standing before God. It's it's making right. the good works that we are called to walk in the basis of our right standing before the Lord. Yeah. And and we reject that. That is moralism. The problem is the ism. But when Christ saves us, Paul says that he saves us unto good works. Yes. And whoever um, has, does not uh, love does not know God because God is love. And so, um, you cannot call yourself a Christian and not love. And as we've seen, you cannot love except that you hate what is evil and love what is good. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, there's that. Some people feel like, oh, as soon as you start talking about morality, you're, you're, you're getting dangerously close to moralism. We just want to reject that um, outright. I think there's a danger in the church as well. Um, maybe there's a, a fear of the social justice the quote-unquote social justice movement, the secular version of that. Yeah. That when you say social justice, for some people it just brings up ideas of, of frankly, socially unjust principles and actions. It's it's totally backwards. Yeah, it's it's like racism in the name of social justice. Stealing in the name of social justice. Yeah, oppression. They're they're open about it. They're saying we need... Oppression now to correct yeah. oppression in the past. Well, well, they would say abortion is a matter of social justice, yeah. not that we should defend the kids, but that we should kill them. Yeah. So, did you see that that tweet I sent you today? Yeah, that was insane. Isn't that horrible? I, maybe I should read this. This yeah. is an example of sure. A, um, the piece. So, the people who support social justice say things like this. This is uh, from a woman named Joe Lumen. Leumen. I'm not exactly sure to pronounce it. She calls herself a pastor. I would rather get an abortion than have a brown child who ends up being adopted by white evangelicals. It is not a kindness to children of the global majority to give them to people who will traumatize them with self and ancestral hatred. An abortion is an act of love. Yeah. Like, can you believe that's just yes. straight out racism? It's straight up racism <laughs> and it's, it's fake. It's a lie. It's like, I yeah. care about my kids so much. I killed them so they wouldn't have to suffer. Cause I, I hate you so much. I don't want them to grow up with you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, but people say these things out loud. Yeah. Like you used to say these things in like midnight meetings with like white, like cone things on your head, you <laughs> yeah. know, with torches yeah. Yeah. and you used to meet in secret. They don't need to do that anymore. They say it out loud. Yeah. I, uh, I recommended that documentary last week, the Mafia 21, right. Uh, Black genocide. I rewatched it again this week and it's just, yeah. Blew my mind that, that anybody could, uh, 
could not see this for what it is that yeah. that the whole um, advancement of abortion in the in the states, especially and worldwide, as as we're pushing it around the world on other countries, is a matter of you know less brown people. Yeah, that's basically what they what they want, and yeah. they still want. They haven't changed their yeah their mind. You know. Yeah. So. So people hear social justice or, you know, and they think, oh, that's only the crazies and the hateful people. And we need to say, no, they've stolen the term. Mm-hmm. Um, human rights are endowed upon us by our creator. And that is the only foundation. They don't belong to the secularists, to the materialists, to the unbelievers. They have no basis for them. Um, we need to not surrender the ground on this. And um, matters of justice and righteousness are our responsibilities. So I want to encourage if if you are sick of the, you know, the vitriol and the hypocrisy and the hatred that comes under the banner of social justice, that's fine. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that we have no responsibility to engage mm-hmm. in matters of justice as Christians, as we've already shown from yeah. scripture. And I would even argue that um, one of the reasons the social justice movement, the secular version, has gained so much ground is because the church uh, abandoned those issues for, yeah. and in favor of a pietistic yes. kind of moralism yeah. like you're talking about for so long yeah. that a lot of people within the church said, hey, we're ignoring these other things. Yeah. But then they just went way to the other extreme. Yeah. And, and Yeah. And so, I, I mean, personally, what I long to see is a church that is biblically rooted who cares for the oppressed. And you just don't often see that. And um, The real oppressed. Yeah, the real oppressed. Yeah. The real oppressed. Uh, it just it, it just doesn't often happen, and um, this is our task and this is our duty. Um, I think there's just a lot of biblical ignorance. I mean, a lot of men think the Christian life is like go to church and do some pious things and avoid some bad things. You know, they just perhaps haven't been taught what their responsibilities are. They don't know. Mm. Um, that these duties that we've read belong to them, that this is what it means to love God, and this is what it means to love your neighbor. And so, um, maybe they don't know that this is something they are responsible to speak um, against. And everyone everyone will have a different role to play. It's not as though you need to go to every rally or you need to start a podcast, or, or but everyone needs to do something and needs to support people yeah. um, who are... In the same way that if you are in Germany as a Christian, you have a duty to protect Jews, you know? And if you were living um, in the South, you have a duty to stand against slavery, you know? Um, you play different roles in that, but it's it's a Christian's duty to stand against injustice, mm. uh, especially of this kind. I think the elephant in the room is that one of the reasons men aren't involved is just compromised conscience. Yeah, and um, our moral compass is only accurate when it is one subject to the word of God, and two put into constant practice uh, through the appropriate action. So this this is the problem with an intellectualized pietistic faith. Um, when you don't act on what you know to be true, and when you don't act in accordance with what is right and stand against what is evil, your conscience actually mm-hmm. becomes seared. Yeah. And it's a very bad thing. So it's actually bad if you're a guy who says he's pro-life and has no one else knows that. Your coworkers don't know that and your family members don't. You've, you've not functionally ever spoken up 
as the scriptures tell us, to lend our voice. Um, the dangerous thing is you're flirting with hypocrisy, which is creating this category where I I believe things that I never do. That there's in the Bible, you you know what you believe, what you do, what you do is what you believe. Yeah. Uh, I will show you my faith by my works, says mm-hmm. James. You know a tree by its fruit. Yeah, exactly. There's no sense. Belief does not mean cognitively assent. It means it doesn't mean less than that, but it means more. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of men who have been passive on important issues um, who who are, are getting, you know, their conscience is just compromised on this. Um Hebrews 5.14, he says, uh, for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice Mm. to distinguish good from evil. So our ability to discern what is true, what is good, what is noble, and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, is a capacity that grows, just like physical growth and muscles. Um, It grows as we use it. Right. As we constantly train ourselves to say yes to what is good and no to what is evil, we actually develop a moral compass that is accurate. Yeah, and we can only do that if we know Scripture. If, if we, we know Scripture and then yeah, we act in accordance right. with we it. We have to know how to act and we have to know Scripture to know that. Yes. And if you put these things together, if you have a guy who calls himself a Christian who's lived in a relativistic culture, it's not good to call evil evil and good good who has private beliefs that he doesn't act in accordance with, um, you, are, you are breeding a morally compromised man uh, who, just, who is not even aware of it, who doesn't feel the way he ought to feel, and who doesn't act in accordance with the truth the way that he ought to. And that is a, that is a hurdle that is impossible to overcome except by repentance. Mm. And um, a lot of guys like to live in moral ambiguity, right? They don't, they don't like to be told um, this is right and this is wrong because that places a burden of responsibility upon us, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and in our sinfulness, one of our proclivities is just to avoid responsibility. Moral clarity comes with a heavy weight. Yeah. And, or, or you become a hypocrite. You, you say, I believe this and you don't act in accordance with it. Um, so, so we don't like, we don't like clarity. We like ambiguity, but love requires um, clarity. I would say another thing as well, and maybe what binds all these together is the cultural crisis in the church of courage. And um, Augustine, and I think Lewis quoting him later you know, said that courage is the mother virtue and it's because all other virtues are dependent upon it, right? And that this makes sense. I mean, without courage, you don't exercise any other virtue and to exercise any other virtue, you need to first show courage and the willingness to bear up under the weight of the consequences of your actions. Hmm. And um, in a wicked world, opposing oppression and defending the weak is dangerous and it's costly and it, it could cost us our life and I think our reputation, which we're probably more afraid of. And uh, maybe too many of us grew up on Denzel Washington movies where like 
a football coach comes in and just ends all racism and they sing songs together and everyone's happy about it. And, and the oppressors really look bad. Like they're the ones that no one really likes. They're the cringy yeah. guys. It's like, no, 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 no. In the system of oppression, yeah. the oppressors are, are the normal people and the ones who stand in the gap like Jesus, like the prophets, like the church are the weirdos. They're, they're the ones who are, who are seen um, not just weird, but actually morally repugnant. Yeah. And uh, they're generally not vindicated in their own lifetimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the world goes on hating you long after you're dead. Yes. You know, if you're any of these guys you've mentioned, the prophets especially, uh, until maybe a couple centuries later, they build the tombs for you. And, you know, like Jesus says, uh, you build the tombs of the prophets, and that's how we know that you would have been the ones that killed them. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, men need to cultivate moral courage. And this is the thing. I think most of us would rather take a punch than take a, a harsh word. We would rather get, get punched in the face and have our reputation slammed, right? Yeah. Oh, have, absolutely. Like, by yeah. far. There's no question. Yeah, and I think this is why Jesus warns us and, and, and encourages us that blessed are you when you are reviled, when people speak all kinds of evil against you. Um, the reason he warns us of the words is because is that is that not our greatest fear? Yeah. I like, mean, taking a punch, if if you can take a punch well, people will think well of you. Hey, that guy could take a punch. Yeah. But nobody's going to think well of you if you can take slander. Yeah. If you're, if you're, well, maybe, maybe the people that matter will appreciate that, but the people that don't matter won't appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. If you're a moral reprobate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the um, weaponization of shame. Right. And this is, this is the tool of the world. And we see this happening with the abortion debate. Um, they've, climbed the moral mount sorry they haven't climbed it they've just taken the moral mountain through the use of righteous language they're just calling the valley a mountain yeah so it's like women's <laughs> rights reproductive yeah. rights healthcare. right to choose health care so to stand against those is to stand against women is to stand against human rights and and we need to be willing to actually be called um hateful evil things mm -hmm. when we're not and the, look, Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, walked the earth and they called him a glutton they, and a drunkard. They called him, you know, in league with Satan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in league with Satan, seditious. Yeah. Um, you know, everything they could to falsely accuse him. And he had to just keep walking forward. Yeah. And I think Christian men have this, especially in Canada, have this really bad understanding of their witness and think that the Christian man's duty is to be well-liked by people. And that when you stand up for the oppressed, people are going to go, yay, clap for you. Yay. Yeah. And if they, don't, if they don't clap for you, you're doing something wrong. Right. You need to be winsome. You yeah. need to preserve your cultural witness. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, we almost have this idea like if we're not, you know, we need to be successful in the mission, but we also need to be successful in converting other people's like or convincing them of our point of view in yeah. order to be successful. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case. Like you can you can get a political W or a or some other social win without actually convincing people. Like yeah. when when they emancipated the slaves, they didn't do it because they convinced everybody that that was a good idea. Yes. They you know, they won a war. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and change followed that. Yeah. And yeah. maybe that's not that wasn't the best way to do it, but that's mm -hmm. the way it went down, right? Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm um, 
Yeah, so men need to really understand the story that they're in and get a biblical view of the conflict and what the nature of it is and what their responsibility is. Because if your narrative is essentially, I need to navigate life in a way that makes me well-liked, Jesus said that you're not a Christian if you do that. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Uh, For so too, they did the false prophets. Mm -hmm. And um, even, I, I, I mean, I see this today, even people who were once brothers in the Lord, um, there's this movement in Canadian evangelicalism. TGC Canada pushes this all the time. And it's the highest virtue is to be liked. And the most awful thing is to say something with moral clarity. And um, the only time these hypocrites will actually stand and make a moral stand is the stand that you shouldn't tell me to stand. Like they're only, yeah. they're only moral indignation. The strongest moral indignation is directed towards people who tell them that there's a, there's a this is right and this is wrong. Yeah. They hate that. They also they also have clarity when they're standing with the world. Yeah, you know when they're when there's no opposition from the world, they'll be as clear as they can. Yeah, yeah, and this is just a sign of hypocrisy. So we need to we need to you know, buckle up and just realize that, look, if I'm going to live a faithful life, a life of love from my neighbor and a life of love to my God, I will have moral clarity. And that means people will hate me. People will hate me. My family will hate me. My coworkers will hate me. They'll think I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I am a bad person, but a lot of Canadian Christian men, they can't, they, they just can't create that category in their mind. It's like, if someone says I'm bad, I must be bad. Yeah. And it's like, well, they said that of the sinless son of God. That person's crying. I must have done something to hurt their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the way that one of the ways we can cultivate courage is one, try your best by God's grace and the power of his spirit to never be a coward, to never be a coward in any area of your life, because it is, it is only through the practice of courage that you grow in courage. And um, so make resolve to yourself that by God's grace and the power of his spirit and in accordance with his word, that you will um, be and say and do uh, what is good. Mm-hmm. And you will abhor what is evil. And you will do that around the lunch table at work. And you will do that in the truck with your buddy and you will do that um, at family events. It doesn't mean you need to always speak in the same way. I'm not saying that. But you will never fail to speak because you are afraid. That is not going to govern your words. Um, the, and and you, need to, you need to be aware of that proclivity of fear. And you need to constantly mm. resist it. Yeah. And, and constantly um, speak. You need to not fear words. And, and we just kind of went over this, but if you think, like, I feel like we need to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Like, I, rem- I still remember my neighbor telling me that for the first time. And um, he's like, well, my dad said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I thought, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like seven or six, and I was like, that's true. Did and, you slap him after that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I did. But uh, <laughs> good. But we are as humans, and I think as men, we are scared of words. And yes, um, the pro-choice baby murder people uh, weaponize words. This is all they have. 
all they have is the weaponization yeah. of language. They don't have rationality. They don't have rationality. Side, so. And so we need to learn to just not care what they say in, in that sense. That's tough, man. I need this. Um, yeah. And something that helps uh, when you find yourself maybe not say something that because uh, because like you said it's not the same every time you had a family gathering you're not going to be the guy every everything comes out of your mouth is always some t- sort of hot topic stirring the pot stirring the pot um, but we have to ask ourselves okay i didn't say that thing that maybe could have been said there why mm-hmm. was it because i was scared or was there a, a good reason to not yeah. do it yeah and it's like well just change the scenario and maybe it'll help you assess like if my if the family was if it's abortion, say it was them talking about slavery, or yeah. say they was talking about gassing Jews, like would you sit quietly? Because that's what we're talking about. And if you don't see the equivalence, it means your moral compass is off. Because that is what we're talking about. Yeah. But what you'll probably realize that we all need to repent of is that we're not very moral. It's that the reason those things happen is because we're all evil. That even as Christians, we battle the flesh, the old man, and he is wicked, and nothing good in him dwells. And one of the evidences of that is our moral indifference to Mm. evil things. It's easier to look at those people, those Nazis, those slave traders, those racists. Um, it's, It's hard to look at yourself and say, wow, the same hatred, the same indifference, the same um, casualness with which I listen to and tolerate oppression— it exists in my heart as well. And um, I think maybe that's where this all starts too, is just repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guys, to be there. The yeah. guys who just look, even at the Marxists and the social justice warriors, and you feel indignation over them, but you don't feel um, indignation over your sin, over your apathy, over your um, the way that you perpetuate these things by your rebellion to God. Uh, you will never develop a more. We will never develop a moral compass because we're part of the problem, and that's that's where this begins. Jesus said, "Take the log out of your own eye, but take you, before you take, and then you will see clearly to yeah. remove the speck." And so, men, to, in order to have moral clarity, need to be repentant men. Mm-hmm. And and the solution to this isn't just to get on the pro life movement; it's actually to walk in repentance, and repentance will almost certainly include involvement in speaking for the oppressed and the unborn. Um, But it begins with an acknowledgement of our own sins. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get this moral compass. We need to not fear men. The fear of men literally castrates men. It, it, It literally castrates us morally speaking. And, and the, the Bible says Proverbs 29, the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And John 12, 42, Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, that is Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put into the synagogue. What prevented them from publicly professing Christ? It was their fear. And their fear of the fear, but notice what the fear was, the fear of the shame. And this is why I'm saying the fear is not physical. Like, um, Jesus yeah. despised the shame of the cross, and it is the public shaming, the moral ostracization uh, that is most fearful to us. And we need to get comfortable with the fact that that's part of a faithful life. 
Otherwise, this is what we end up doing. We're afraid of men. We're afraid of what they'll say. We're afraid of being put out of the cool group. Um, this is what this is all that's going on with TGC Canada. You know, a lot of those guys, yeah. and then the other guys who stay quiet. There's a lot of good men um, who have been associated, at least in the past. But it's just it's it's it just reeks of the fear of men. Mm-hmm. And a concern for what they think about you and a fake moralism and a legalistic standard that would condemn the son of God himself. I mean, their speech laws are just wicked. It's just wickedness. Like you apply standards of righteousness to your brothers and sisters that would condemn Jesus Christ. And that is that is evil. That is yeah. legalism. Yeah, I think that's just guilt talking. Yeah. It has to be, you know. And this this happened to Peter. We read in Galatians 2, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the circumcision party is like the reform guys. It's the ones who know every it's it's the ones who know the law. It's the people who have religious pull in this community. It's not those it's not those uh pagan little Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? It's the the really religious, righteous, upright, reputable people. And he's like, Oh shoot, they're here. I can't eat with these these filthy people. And uh, Paul calls him out on it and said he was actually stand. He stood condemned. Paul said of Peter. Yeah. So his fear of men led him to act in such a way that he was standing condemned and opposing the very gospel that he preached. That is how dangerous the fear of men hmm. is, and we need to be aware of that. And the antidote to this is obviously fear God. Uh, when we are inordinately fearful, when we act disobediently because we're worried about what people think about us, what they'll say about us, what they'll do to us, it's a good sign that our fear of God is too minimal. And, and we, I struggle with this every day. Mm-hmm. This is a thing we all struggle with. Yeah. Um, but Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Whereas the writer of Hebrews says, um, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can men do to me? Mm. And when you have a fear of God and you recognize that his wrath is forever, the wrath of men just does not seem that significant. Yeah. What's the worst you can do? Kill me? Um, God can do much worse than that. And that same God through faith in Jesus Christ is actually on my side. He is my helper. Yeah. And... Um, we we just we just really need to get this in our bones as men. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. This starts with uh, practicing this on the in the little things. Yeah, I think courage is uh, contagious. Yeah, among men, especially like we see other men doing something courageous, and we're like, yeah, I I want to do that. What yeah. do I need to do to get there? Yeah, I think uh, on the fearing God topic, like that's one of the biggest changes around Peterborough in, in our two fellowships, I think is, is just the, the right ordered worship, you know, trying to order our worship in a biblical way, in a way that shows that we fear God. Um, uh, and when you, when you worship rightly, the fear of God is, I don't know, takes, it's, you know, it takes uh, prominence in your life. And then, uh, Going out from there, if you have right worship, you can start to cultivate these uh, these virtues. Oh, of course. 
Of course. And I mean, um, going to a solid church, I mean, going to a church that preaches the whole counsel of God and calls people to repentance and practices church discipline so there's not hypocrites. Hypocrites don't like churches that are clear. Yeah. Hypocrites <laughs> love little pietistic churches that leave the costly things morally ambiguous that we might have an opinion, but we leave it up to you. Um, they don't like moral clarity. They don't like responsibility. They like the veneer of righteousness. And you need to flee from those churches really quickly. Yeah. Uh, Jesus warns. Run, don't walk. Yeah, run, don't walk. The, the leaven of the Pharisees, because it'll get in you mm. unconsciously, and you'll become a fake, fake person. So, I just, I just have a burden to see men rise up and to at least start asking the question, what can I do? And be willing to go to the wall on this one. Be willing to do whatever you need to do for the children and, and, and for those who are suffering under this heinous, wicked, evil oppression. And um, if you feel as though you just don't care about this enough, then ask God to change you and, yeah. and confess your sin to Him and say, look, I don't abhor what is evil and I don't love what is good. I am a, I am a, I am a, a half-hearted creature. I am a man without a chest, as, as Lewis would put it. And we need to we need to repent of that. And I mean, our whole education system, thinking of Lewis here, encourages this. Oh yeah, it encourages moral ambiguity yeah. and subjectivism. Your feelings have no correspondence to the outer world. They're just yeah, they're just your feelings, and they don't matter. Yeah, you know. And so yeah. yeah, it encourages sort of an in, an internal, um, I guess just a, a shrinking back. Yeah. Yeah, from making statements like uh, in that in that book, Abolition of Man, he talks about how the authors of this uh, this textbook uh, don't like Coleridge's statement that the waterfall is sublime. Sublime, yeah. It's like, well, waterfalls can't be sublime. You're just saying your feelings are sublime. Yeah. And Lewis just tears them to shreds. Yeah. You know, and says, no, you're just morally ambiguous. And yeah. There yeah. are true, be- truly beautiful things in the world. Yeah, and truly yeah. evil things. Yes. And um, men especially need to lead the way morally. And in Canadian culture right now, it is actually, this is the other thing, it is wrong for a man. And in the pro-life, yeah. in this debate, I, I mean, I had people say to me, no uterus, no no uh, opinion. Yeah. It's like... But I also heard a, a pro-choice activist this week say that men can get pregnant and have abortions. So yeah. they want to have it both ways. Yeah. But what they're attempting to do is to rob men of their rightful duty to bring moral clarity to mm-hmm. a situation. Yeah. They're trying to say that it's not even right that you have an opinion on this, which is by definition bigoted. Um, but that's like saying, you know, unless you're black, you can't say slavery is wrong. You yeah. know, unless you're a Jew, you can't condemn genocide. You like, can, yeah, you can't talk about slavery. You don't own a plantation. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's it's just a ridiculous thing, but this is the impulse. The reason why that carries weight, even though it's irrational, is because um, there is a hatred for men. Yeah, and there's a hatred for male leadership, and there's a hatred for male moral clarity. It's amazing that the the people who promote you know women's so called women's rights are fine with misogynists. Yeah, they're they're fine with people singing songs about um, debased views of women yeah but it seems yeah, they're you, fine with uh sexual license yeah 
right? I mean, this this whole thing plays into the lap of men, yeah. Anyway, like licentious men who just want to like sleep around, use, it's women. Like, use women for for their bodies, and it's like you're just letting them do that. And yeah. but you, apparently, you say you hate that, but you don't. No, because you don't condemn their act their actions that are leading to this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we need more Wilberforces, and um, and uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's going to take uh, another. 15 years and some of these kids that are coming up through the, the school yeah. KCCS, when we see them grow up, you know, having been educated in a way that we weren't, maybe they're going to have a little more of that clarity out of the box, so yeah. to speak, hopefully a little more courage than, than us. But uh, we, you know, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe we could talk about that. What is, what does it look like? Um, it's, it's easy for me when I look at the pro-life movement in the States where there's, abortion mills all over the place yeah you know and you're allowed to go up to them and protest in front of them it's easy to see what you can do to actually make to make a real difference like you can go save babies yeah you can literally go and convince women to not murder their babies yeah and you've saved a child you can't do that in canada because there are very few clinics most abortions are performed in hospitals yeah um which is just mind-blowingly wicked when you think about it and probably the the reason our healthcare system is crumbling right now is because we don't know what life is anymore but yeah uh what do like what do we do we don't i mean we don't have the same sort of legal protections um but we also don't have a lot of pro-choice precedents here legally either like mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of in a unique position where we can't do a lot uh, on the ground like one-on-one with people that are considering abortions unless you're reaching out to them through advertising or something like that. Uh, but we also don't have a lot of legal impediments yeah. other than, you know, getting enough people in a room that are going to vote for pro-life laws would be yeah. next to impossible at, at this moment. But So I, one of the dangers of when you, when you look at genuine oppression, um, it can be very overwhelming because it's, Im- it's embedded in everything. The reason mm-hmm. this is working is because everyone's in on it. And, if you are, are just thinking about the end game of abolishing, um, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, it is. Because, yeah. because I mean, I, I, I think the statistic when I was at the pregnancy center, it's something like 80% of abortions happen within 24 hours, or the decision is made within 24 hours of confirmation of pregnancy. And so what a lot of the pregnancy centers are trying to do is to adopt a clinical model where then they can confirm pregnancy and be in proximity to these at-risk women and provide hope and help to them and say, look, because, I mean, um, if you go in now as a healthy person and your, your pregnancy is confirmed, like, I know this from my experience and from everyone I've talked to in the last five years, everyone is asked if they want to kill their kid. Like, that's yeah. one of the questions. Like, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and, you know, welcome to our office, and would you like me to murder your child? Like, that's that's just part of the questionnaire. Yeah. Um, so, the, the healthcare system is totally corrupt, and it's it's there's wicked people in it, and uh, there's not a lot of good ones left. We're not going to fix all that. There's a, there's a, there's a not huge... Not in one generation. It, it, it immediately. Yeah. Apart from a revival. Yeah. So I would, but I would go back to what the King Lemuel said to his son um, to use his voice. And, and I think that we need to not underestimate the power of people telling the truth. 
And we need to take courage because using your voice will result in uh, major opposition. And um, don't underestimate the power of what God can do through someone who just tells the truth. And so if you are a Christian man, um, you don't need to figure out a strategy to end this whole thing. With, before you get involved, you can resolve that by God's grace and with His help and for His glory and the good of other people, you will just tell the truth. You are going to start speaking. If you have social media, you're going to start saying things in your conversations with your friends and coworkers. You're going to get together with other brothers at your church, maybe a group of churches in your town, and say, why, why don't we hold events where we speak to these things? Um and as you do that, I think God will give opportunity. I think it's a good case, too, why it's been really bad that Christians have retreated from the public square. It's, mm-hmm. it's not great that our hospitals are run by people who hate God um, and hate each other. That's not a good thing. That's why when you go in, they ask you if you want to kill your kid. Um, that's why so many people died uh, over the last two years from entirely preventable causes. Yeah. Um, and why more and more evil is going to exist because Christians have abandoned that space that we've rejected the idea that God's word ought to govern our society. So we're governed by the word of, of the world and it's evil and it leads to death and corruption. So, I mean, just rejecting this, this separate view of life. The reason we have such an uphill battle is because we surrendered the ground so long ago. Yeah. It said, that's not our place in government. That's not our place in the hospital. And it's like, well, that's easy to say when they still function in a Christian worldview. You wouldn't say that if yeah. you could look down the road and see your grandkids refused treatment because of their beliefs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or or forced abortions, you know, because of whatever reason it, it Too is. Too many people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'd like to have... Uh, Laura on, a, a sister in the Lord who's done a ton of great work in this regard, a practical ministry. Have we officially invited her yet? We have. We just haven't confirmed the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hi, we, Laura, if you're listening. Yeah, we officially invited her last week on the podcast, okay. but we but we also followed up. My wife. I mean, personally invited, not just mention it on the podcast. No, my wife, my wife got in touch there. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 Um, but she'll... She'll have maybe more strategies in Canada and this place on the ground. Yeah. Um, but I it's, saw she had, uh, I drive up seven, Highway 7 a lot yeah. for work. And coming back in, on, just on this side of Norwood, I see she put up a giant billboard. Um, you know, un, unplanned pregnancy, don't be afraid, give us a call type of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it looked good. I didn't, I, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Yeah. But if, if men step up to the plate and say, I don't know what to do, but I'm willing to do it, God will use you. Hmm. That's where I want to that's where I want to finish. Right. If you step up and in faith walk in obedience to God's word, God will use you. That's what we need. Yeah. And we need to pray that uh, God will take away any of these fears that yeah. we have. Because you're right, they're destructive and they're they're basically unbelief. Yeah. The fears we have are unbelief. I know we've talked about this a lot mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, you know, when it became clear what was going on with the pandemic. Yeah. I, for me, there was a real sense of, boy, I'm going to lose a lot of my stuff. You know, th- that became a real fear. Mm-hmm. Life's going to change. Mm-hmm. Things are not going to be the same. And that's just 
unbelief, being afraid right. of that stuff and giving into that. Yeah. Needs yeah. to be repented of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of us. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't read any other books this week, so we can't do that. But No, I don't read anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am. Uh, oh, actually, I got back into an audio book that I was listening to from um, Jim Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Typology. Uh, typology. And uh, the second half of the book has been a lot more engaging for me than the, f- the first half. I listened to like four hours back to back one day. And uh, just blowing my mind, seeing all these biblical connections of the the types and the shadows and the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Very interesting book. Mm-hmm. Um, Want to give a shout out to the sponsors? Yeah, well, our unofficial official sponsor is Kawartha Classical Christian School. We ran our uh, fundraising campaign last week um, with our video that JKB did for us, and uh, turned out great. It did turn out great. Got a lot of good feedback. And just to encourage listeners, if you want to um, support us financially, that's great. I if mean, you want to need... send your kids, even better. Yeah, great for your kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, some awesome things going on there. We have our Olympics Day coming up. It was supposed to be today. We did a rain check. And uh, we're actually going to the ROM next week. Going to go nice. check out the Ancient Near East exhibit. Nice. Hopefully they have all the exhibits vaccinated. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just so they don't transmit. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's a person anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. That big electric ball <laughs> with the, the lightning that comes out of it. <laughs> I want to get COVID from that. Yeah. But shout out to them. Yeah. Principal Auger, all the faculty. We've got the uh, movie night coming up on the 27th that you yes. can sign up for. Yeah. At uh, Westmount Bible Chapel. Yeah, come on to that. a viewing of the, the, the Riot and the Dance 2 Water yes. Edition. Yeah. Very good movie. Very good. So, yeah. And we've got Pastor Aaron Rock coming on next week. That's right. What are we going to talk about with him? I got a bunch of questions. I'll send them to you. Okay. Yeah. Just so we're just going to ask him like rapid fire questions. They're not rapid fire. <laughs> um, they're just things. Pastor Aaron Rock, for those of you who don't know, has just been uh, just a really good, strong leader, clear convictions in the last several years about the um, lordship of Jesus and the nature of the local church and the need to gather. And, and, and uh, a man who's really lended his voice to the voiceless and stood yeah. in the gap for the oppressed and advocated for those who have just been abandoned by the, by the world around them, including churches. And it's, it's actually a really great follow-up to tonight's conversation. They've had a, um, an anti-abortion conference in the past there, and they invited Laura Clausen to speak at their women's conference. And um, yeah, just really a church and a man who's leading the way in a lot of things that we're talking about. So we're eager to talk to him. Mm. And, yeah. and glean from him. Uh, and if you don't listen to his podcast, it's called Leadership Now. Yeah. On the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network or on uh, Spotify, all those other platforms. Yeah. We got a shout out from him uh, in one of the recent episodes. Oh, did we? Our churches did. Oh, cool. And he was talking about um, in, in their episode on, um, uh, was it Building Beachheads? Oh, yeah. Along those lines. Yeah. Anyway, t- just talking about a lot of the churches that were open and he mentioned Peterborough and mentioned uh, Hill City and... Westmount. So, Solid. Yeah, I know. I kind of had a little grin when that happened. Like, hey, that's <laughs> us. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Tune in. We're going to get a bunch more interviews, Lord willing. Yeah. So if you have someone, again, if you have listener questions, send them in. Um, because uh, 
we like doing those. I haven't got a listener question in a while. But yeah, Jeremy at the Dominion Podcast.com or yeah. Alex at the Dominion Podcast.com. Is that yours? Don't say it because I don't know how to open it. Yeah, okay. Send I set up an email address for him, but he hasn't set it up yet. So <laughs> it's it's above me. Yeah. <laughs> but if you'd like if you'd like to have someone on the show, Jeremy and I have a lot of pull. <laughs> oh boy. Big time. But we but we would really like to be interviewing people who can help us better understand how to live under um, the Lordship of Christ and rule over creation in his name. So uh, stay tuned for that. Excellent. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for us. Yep. I'll leave you with this. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We'll see you on Dominion Podcast episode 52 next week. <laughs>